This is Our House by Art, Humanity, and Action, a podcast where activists tell stories about the first time they realized they had to get involved and what happened next. I'm your host, Nicole Ferraro. I started to think I needed to get involved in a way that I hadn't before. It ain't over. We have a lot, a lot of fighting to do. I knew I had to be involved. I wanted to help. People call it a duty, like you have a duty to do certain things. You know, it started dawning on me that I have to do something. I was teaching middle school, and I was still the cool young teacher, so they could relate to me, I guess. But they'd say, Mr. C, Mr. C, are you dating? And I'd say, no. And I was always afraid to come out of the closet. Finally, when they said, are you gay? I decided to bite the bullet and say, yes, I am gay. Uh, Within a month of that, three different students came up to me and said, you know, I have nobody to talk to about this, but I'm gay, can I talk to you? That was the first, first moment I realized, follow this line that you've had for most of your life, I can be a voice for those that have no voice. That's Richard Cardillo. He is an educator, a storyteller, and a former monk. He'll tell you about that later. He's also a wonderful friend and listener and an incredibly dedicated activist. Richard's story to becoming that activist takes him from private school to Peru to New York City during the AIDS crisis and beyond. And it starts with the presidential campaign. So in 1972, I started high school, and I went to an all-boys Catholic school, very conservative, very lily-white. And I remember being a freshman, and that was in an election year. And I remember the vast majority of the students in that time being for uh, Nixon. And as a freshman, myself and only about four or five other people in that entire school campaigned heavily for George McGovern. So I remember that being the underdog and saying, no, I want to be on the right side of justice. And in 1975, as a junior, I got the lead in my high school production of Damn Yankees. I was Joe Hardy, Julius Joe from Hannibal Moe. And I remember, because I knew I was gay, but I would run track to kind of cover myself so that I wasn't one of the, what they used to call at the time, play fags. The director of the show sent the entire cast, except for me, to take lessons from the school's baseball team on how to bat and how to throw a ball so you weren't throwing it like a sister. And I remember being so irate, but not being able to open my mouth I would be caught if I did. And I never came to bat for those kids in the chorus. And they were my friends. Stuck with me my whole life. I took a different direction. I was still so afraid as a young Catholic boy of coming out of the closet that I hid all of that sexuality uh, and my orientation behind religiosity. And I entered a monastery. I was sent by my order to Peru. I was living in a very poor fishing village, a hundred kilometers out of the capital city. And I was there in the eighties 
It was a very, very bad time for the country of Peru. They actually had a full-blown terrorist war going on with a group called the Shining Path, Sendero Luminoso. I started working in this village. I uh, tried not to be the ugly American. I tried to understand where people were coming from. And then I was taking care of the health needs as well as the emotional, social, religious needs of this village. And there was a cholera outbreak. It was a horrible epidemic in the country, just devastating, people dying every day. And I came down with cholera. It, it was the easiest thing to get to an emergency room being a gringo, get in there, put the intravenous in my arm, get the saline solution going through my body, get rehydrated. So I was cured within a week. In the five days I was gone, 45 of the children from my village died of cholera. And that's when I really learned the definition and the meaning of privilege. I come back to the country. I finally came out to my family. I hadn't dated substantially with any men. I had no contacts in the gay community up here. I had been celibate in the monastery through the AIDS years. But the day that I finally moved to New York City, I'm looking out the window of my apartment. I lived on 4th Avenue and 10th Street. And it was around Labor Day weekend. And I saw all of these people walking by my window with wigs on. And I didn't know what was going on. I followed them. And sure enough, in Tompkins Square Park, it was Wigstock. And to see this celebration of differentness, to see this community come together and say, it's okay to be freakish, which is what they thought it was at the time, or it's okay to just be you, that turned things around for me and kind of solidified my coming out in that first week in, in Manhattan. My coming out and my saying, yeah, these, this is my tribe. I want to be able to do things with the gay community and to give voice to people in the gay community. At that time, the only thing on people's agenda wasn't equality or same-sex marriage or gay lib, it was AIDS. And very shortly after that, I did meet my partner and we were together for 18 years. He was HIV positive when I met him. I didn't know that at the time. And we both got extremely involved right away with ACT UP. And that was street activism at its finest. It was protesting, it was die-ins, it was meetings, it was making your voice be heard in any way that you could. Since then, it's mostly been geared towards LGBTQ youth work, uh, anti-bullying efforts, trying to sensitize teachers on how to relate to students in their classes who wanted to come out. I remember school was starting again after winter break and they announced the spring musical. So all the LGBTQ kids in the, um, they used to call them the Gay Straight Alliance then, they don't use that term anymore, but the Gay Straight Alliance were so excited and they announced that the show was going to be a chorus line. I remember this is ridiculous. Why chorus line? For a high school? I just even thought there's this one monologue and it called Paul's monologue where a guy talks about his coming out process and how he did drag on stage and his parents accidentally walked in on him being dressed in drag and he cries and I said, you know, a high school kid cannot handle this. And after they announced that the show was going to be Chorus Line, 
leaders of the Gay-Straight Alliance came to me and they said, Mr. C, you shared with us that you were once an English teacher. Could you edit and proofread this petition that we got going? I said, sure. And it was a petition that they had written to the principal, the assistant principal, and the director of the Spring Musical, insisting and demanding that the part of Paul be cast only to an openly gay student, male or female, and they wanted it signed by every member of the Gay-Straight Alliance. And I thought, these kids could have taught me a lesson way back when. In addition to being an awesome educator, Richard is an active member of Gays Against Guns and Rise and Resist. In a moment, we will talk with him about his activism since the 2016 election and how you can get involved in the upcoming midterms. Richard, mm -hmm. thank you so much for telling us your story. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about how your activism has evolved? Sure. I, I uh, kept involved in uh, ACT UP after my partner died for quite some time. I then stopped going to the meetings and stopped taking part in any political actions that ACT UP did. Uh, and I kind of advocated more for access to medicines for people in underdeveloped countries, mostly in Africa and in Latin America as well. That kind of led me towards open access to uh, medicines, to prep medicines as well. And then the thing that kind of solidified my protesting with the LGBTQ community was the massacre at the Pulse nightclub. And once that happened two years ago, within a day, there was this new group starting that I just saw on social networking called Gays Against Guns, GAG. And I knew that I had to brush off my protesting shoes, get them on again, and join this group for direct action. And I jumped into that with a vengeance. I made my voice heard uh, in a way that I hadn't since those early days of ACT UP, where I was doing street protests. I was doing uh, planning meetings. I was doing writing to people. I was doing boycotting efforts. Uh, we were doing die-ins again all over the city. And um, it kind of consumed me. That joined up with my political activism, because at the same time that the Pulse massacre happened, the elections of 2016 were gearing up. That led me to getting extremely involved in the group called Rise and Resist. It was not a splinter group of gays against guns, but there was an awful lot of the leadership that was shared back and forth. Uh, it's its own entity now. It's a strong entity. And again, I average about one protest activity a week between Gays Against Guns and Rise and Resist. Can you tell us about one specific protest activity that stands out since the 2016 election? For me, the culminating moment with Rise and Resist was taking a class on civil disobedience, learning the ropes about what it meant to do civil disobedience, and finally take part in an action with 24 other people of taking over and occupying Trump Tower and with the 24 other people getting arrested in an act of civil disobedience at Trump Tower. And that was in April after the election. So you are a fierce defender of LGBTQ plus rights and somebody who fights on behalf of protecting the youth. Um, and I want to know why, in particular, the midterm elections are consequential to all these issues that you're fighting for. Firstly, with those issues, when I see the decline of rights for LGBTQ people, when I see transgender bans in the military come, on, come in, 
when I see people not be able to be served as customers in any shop on religious grounds, this is really cause for me to say it ain't over. We have a lot, a lot of fighting to do. And right now, our rights are, meaning the LGBTQ community, our rights are under attack. We are not safe in any way, shape, or form. And I want to be able to make noise and say, these are the people we're backing. For anyone who is listening to this and is inspired by your story and wants to get involved and doesn't even know where to begin, what advice would you give? What's one action somebody can take right now that's really accessible? Find something that you are passionate about. When you find that, don't think that there's any timeline or level that you have to reach. There's no varsity protesters. Feel good with where you are. If that is writing a letter or making a phone call or sending a fax to an elected official, do it. If it means talking to a neighbor, do it. I am also going to go out on a limb with this suggestion, but there's something in my nature as well, and I don't know if it came from my religious upbringing. I don't know if it came from being a teacher and being a good listener, but I am really encouraging all those who want to be on the left or radical enough to do protesting and to resist, which we all should do. I believe that. But be open enough to every once in a while keeping your mouth closed and keeping your ears open and listen to people who have diametrically opposed views to you. So if they say, my position is they're coming for my gun. I would ask them, what makes you think that's happening? Well, you people are up in arms about, <laughs> but what makes you think we're coming for all your guns? What would that look like to you? And I would open up a dialogue. Uh, and then when I get to the point of having, just listening to what they're saying, I do hear that a lot of it comes from fear. And when you can get in touch with that fear, then you can make headway. And that's going to be important because we are such a polarized country right now. Richard, thank you very much for being on the podcast and for being in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much to Richard for being with us in the studio and for all of the work you've done throughout your life and all of the work you continue to do as an activist and as a teacher. If you want to get involved in Gays Against Guns or Rise and Resist, you can find links to do so in the show notes. We are just a few weeks out from our show, Our House Live, featuring stories about taking power back with all ticket proceeds going to Swing Left to help flip the house this November. That show is on Tuesday, July 31st in New York City, so please get your tickets in the show notes or at arthumanityaction.com. This podcast comes from Art Humanity in Action and is produced and edited by Jeff Rose. We'll be back with another story next week.